Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing All the Feels by Olivia Dade. This was just published in 2021 and is the second in the Spoiler Alert series. And full disclosure, we did receive a copy of this book from Nick Galley. So you may remember we recently reviewed Spoiler Alert, which is the first in the series. And in that review, we were already very hyped and very excited to read about the heroes of this story. And I do not think it disappointed. Uh, it, I was not disappointed at all. So the book jacket. Alexandra Woodrow has it all. Charm, sex appeal, wealth, fame. A starring role as Cupid on TV's biggest show, God of the Gates. But the showrunners have wrecked his character, he's dogged by old demons, and his post-show future remains uncertain. When all that reckless emotion explodes into a bar fight, the tabloids and public agree his star is falling. Enter Lauren Clegg, the former ER therapist hired to keep him in line. Compared to her previous work, watching over handsome but impulsive Alex shouldn't be especially difficult. But the more time they spend together, the harder it gets to keep her professional remove and her heart intact, especially when she discovers the reasons behind his recklessness. Not to mention his Cupid fan fiction habits. When another scandal lands Alex in major hot water and costs Lauren her job, she'll have to choose between protecting him and offering him what he really wants. Her. But he's determined to keep his improbably short, impossibly stubborn, and extremely endearing minder in his life any way he can. And on a road trip up the California coast together, he intends to show her exactly what a falling star will do to catch the woman he loves. Anything at all. <laughs> okay, this jacket is way too much. It gives a lot away, and it also doesn't even set it up right. So no, Bad jacket. Bad jacket. I don't think it's bad in the sense that, like, it's poorly written or anything like that. I think it, as Lane said, reveals too much of the plot. Too much of the plot and not enough of the spirit. Mm-hmm. I agree. So did we do it better? I think we did. As you know, we generate a random number for each episode, and then we write our random summaries based on that number. And for this week, the number is 46. You want to kick us off, Lane? Sure. Alex has a bad boy reputation, but is actually a cinnamon roll. So when he's assigned an unneeded minder who is in a de desperate need of a hero, he rises to the occasion in more ways than one. Even when it might not be what Lauren needs. I really like it. I really like it. I really like Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> it's so cute. For the record, the dirty way of rising, she always needs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to be clear, that is not the way. That is not what she needs. <laughs> All right. Huh. Here's mine. Lauren just wanted a paid vacation from her life. What she got was paid forced proximity with the hottest TV star around. He may be hot, but Alex is all grown-up theater kid on the outside and all soft candy center on the inside. Soulmates? Yes. I'm glad we both kind of got at his sweet-as-pie good boy center. Oh, my God. He's such a, an appealing hero. He really is. I, I, I think he's a very appealing hero. I also think 
that Olivia Day does a good job of making him be realistic. Like, I don't think he's a good hero for me, for example. <laughs> like, I don't think I would want to date Alex. But he's a great hero to read about and a great hero for Lauren. I did find him... How do I put this? Like, I don't know how believable he was as an actor. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's Look, if you're going to point out a weak point of the spoiler alert series, it is how great these actors are, right? As people and also as successful as they are. Yeah, I think it was more... Marcus's professionalism and passion for his craft really came through in the first book. Alex is very, for good reason, justified in the text, blah, blah, blah. Not super interested in the being a good actor parts. Right. He he doesn't have to work hard at it. And I kind of found his personality so distinctive. I found that hard to believe. Yeah. I don't know. To me, she did a great job. And I mean, the first paragraph, I think, of the book is Alex reflecting on his own character. Mm-hmm. And him thinking that he, when he first heard the term, that's so extra or he's so extra, he was like, oh, that's me. And I was like, yes, this is, these are the theater kids that I hung out with in high school and college. Yeah, I think the hard part for me is those kids weren't actually talented. Right. (laughs) And I say this having been a theater kid. So I think- With love, like, I just, the part of him that, like, buckled down and got serious about his craft enough to, like, make it and work hard at it and be award-winning, I don't necessarily know that I bought. That said, I don't care. I thought he was a well-developed character. I thought he was interesting. I thought he was very three-dimensional. And frankly, I don't think if you'd just been, like, he's a geologist, I would have given much thought to is he actually a good fit for a geologist? So like, I'm not actually saying this is a criticism. I thought it was interesting. Like, I think the love of the work was played very differently in this mm-hmm. book for both of them than it was in the first book, which I liked. Yes. Fan fiction is still a plot point, but a much more subtle one. So I think the way this series has to work innately, you're kind of, because Olivia Date is so good at writing distinct characters, you're getting more nuance than maybe you realistically would amongst a TV show cast. Right. So, like, I'm totally fine with it. But that was my one thing. I was like, I kind of find it hard to believe he, like, embodies another character well <laughs> based on how extra and intense he is. Yeah. And, I mean, he may not. A lot of TV stars don't necessarily, they're not necessarily, like, good actors, but they are good at portraying the one type, you know? True. We don't know what which he is. We don't know. And he has hidden depths, so you know he can draw on that. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Should we talk so, about tropes? Yes, I was about to say, we need to do tropes before we continue to talk about quality and just rave about this book. Biggest so, one. Uh, the biggest one is Forced Proximity. The book opens with the showrunners hiring Lauren basically just to be with Alex 24-7 so that he can't embarrass them, Right. And get in the tabloids. Lauren, this is not, it's not like she wants to be someone's minder. 
but she's looking for a way to get away from her super high stress job. So she actually is on leave of absence from the super high stress, difficult job that she had. And she's trying to decide whether she wants to go back to it or not. Well, but she didn't like apply for this job. No. So this current job that she applied, that this current job that she takes, she just happens to be in the right place at the right time. Her cousin is one of the showrunners and he's like, okay, Lauren, I'll hire you. I'll do you a favor, which whatever. And you get to hang out with Alex. Well, but I really like that because they presented in the first book and I loved the way Olivia Day did this, that she's some sort of hanger on. Yeah. And like a family member trying to coast on a famous family member's coattails. Yes. And then immediately that's dispelled in this book. It's like, no, I'm a trained nurse with this very specific job. I'm supposed to be on vacation. And my mom told me I had to say, come say hi to my shitty cousin. And he put me to work without even really asking me if it's what I wanted. I, I thought it was perfect. I thought it was, I don't want to say no interest in Hollywood. Like I love that. I did too. But the long and short of it is she does take the job and now she's got to hang out with Alex all the time, forever, for three months. Like she moves in with him at mm-hmm. the studio's instruction mm-hmm. to the guest house, mind you, but still. But still. So there is quite literally some forced proximity. Well, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there you go. What are some other tropes that appear in this book? Um, so I thought this was fun because it leans into a lot of things that we are used to seeing in historicals, mm-hmm. but in a way that really worked in this modern context. So um, um, we see the authority figure assigning our hero a woman to make him more respectable a lot. In historicals, historicals. yes. Mm-hmm. So it's played very differently here in that no one's typically threatened to end a duke. They just need him to behave better. Right. But it's it's very much the modern application of that trope. It was great. I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Uh, one of the... So the other thing that both of these books do is that they talk about fan fiction tropes and then apply them in the book. Yep. And in this one, the, the one that Alex is most excited to apply is the only one bed trope. But he gets so excited about it. It's so, it's so much fun. This scene is so much fun. I really liked everything about that sequence. Everything. Including, like, it's really funny. It's so fun. It's so funny. So funny. It, it just really worked on every level. Mm-hmm. I loved it. So additionally... He's got this berserker mode thing. Mm-hmm. And you see this a lot in paranormal, but we've also seen it in a couple of non-fantasy romances mm-hmm. where like there's something that like trips the hero up and like he's in a dark place again. And sometimes it's like PTSD even. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's basically anytime anyone around him is treated badly. Yep. And he's afraid of not coming to their aid. He like goes dead-eyed and starts wrecking everything in sight to end the pain the other person is experiencing, but then also often makes it very worse. Yeah. I I thought it was 
I thought it was, I actually thought this was really great. The way it was presented both as something that's a strength for him, which is he sees injustice and he wants to fix it and do something about it. But also he doesn't know what to do with that rage. Right. Mm -hmm. It's also his weakness. Um, this is like less of a criticism and just more, I cannot tell you through the whole book, I was just screaming that he needed therapy. Yeah. It was so frustrating that even though he had a diagnosed medical condition, there was clearly no like ongoing medical care right. beyond a prescription because he clearly needed it. Yeah. And on the one hand, it, it's frustrating to read because you're like, we need this. On the other hand, probably pretty realistic for someone. So. Absolutely. Like I said, not a criticism. Not that I was like, come on, like this person wouldn't be getting the help they need. But like there were some moments that were actually hard for me to read. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh God, if this was my friend, I'd be like, you need to talk to someone. You have yeah. to talk to a professional. Like your right. meds are clearly not working the way they're supposed to. There's clearly right. other issues going on. And I just have to read you be a car wreck for 300 pages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like you said, probably pretty realistic, just difficult. Just difficult. Yeah. So you talked about the berserker mode uh, and that's sort of, I feel like the paranormal or historical aspect in the contemporary world, I think it's like the protector, right? Almost yeah. like a romantic suspense. Um, but yeah, I need to protect my woman at all costs. <laughs> and this is first and foremost, to a degree of workplace mo romance. Right. She is hired to be with him. Right. And he is very aware that he wields power over her. Yes. Yep. Um, and another historical trope that I thought was applied really well here was, like, the late-night garden walks. Yes. And there's a twist. Like, she's his minder. He can't leave the property without her. So she, like, goes with him in his nighttime wanderings. But how many romance novels the protagonists bump into each other in the garden at night, not for a romantic liaison, but you know. It's, it, it always starts with the woman waking up and thinking, oh, I just want to go outside. So she pulls something on over her night rail. Yep. Just gender swap it and that's what happens here. It's so great. <laughs> it's great. And then she's, the man sees her and is like, oh no, she can't be alone out there. That's what happens here. But again, gender, gender swap. swapped. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> Me too. I thought the, the application of tropes was pitch perfect. Oh, and, and I mean, part of it too is that you know, she knows, we know what we're reading, right? So yeah. it's, you know, it, it is a little bit of fan service because she knows that's what we want. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I thought it was great. <laughs> I loved it. All right. So you loved this book. I loved it. I, I mean, I'm trying to be objective here. I'm sure there were things that weren't perfect about this book, but I absolutely loved it. I devoured it. I read it, I think, in one night. I was just like, yes, I couldn't stop. I liked it. I don't think I was that enthusiastic. I don't think I'm going to have <laughs> problems with objectivity. Okay, good. At least we've got one person on the team who can be objective about it. <laughs> but... I, I think what I liked the most, and we've talked about this before, I think the two things I look for the most in a book are the um, the characters. So I want complex characters. I want characters I can believe in. 
maybe they're in a ridiculous situation, but I want to believe that these characters are reacting in a, an authentic way. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where Olivia Day delivers. These are two super well-developed characters that are very different from each other and very different than the heroes of the previous books. And to that, I have to give her a ton of props. I had never had any question whose head I was in. No, no. And I mean, yes, I realize I said the book starts with Alex thinking about himself, but that's like in character for Alex, you know? Yeah, like some books it would have been like, okay, you can cut it out with the exposition. And this was like, nope, Alex is definitely also so like reflective, but to a toxic degree. Yes, yes, absolutely. And then, and they both, so from the outside, they seem to be completely different, right? So Alex is, I mean, he's got ADHD, right? He's got this, need to be a protector mm-hmm. and he's got this need to right wrongs and you know get justice for people out there with injustice and a tendency to blame himself even when it is absolutely not something involving him mm-hmm. and lauren on the other hand is like she seems to have her life completely together right? She has a good job. She has a good career. She, that's the same thing. She has a job and a career. Same thing. <laughs> you know. But She's got a best friend who she clearly has a very close relationship with. She's financially stable. She's in a field that she's passionate about. Right. She's got a lot going for her and she just burns out. Yeah. And so on the outside, they seem to be very opposite characters. And we haven't even touched on their looks yet, so what they look like, right? But I would say that adds to the opposites attract kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, But the more you get to know them, the more you realize, oh, they actually are very similar. Like she is being, she's burning out because she feels so much for the people at her jobs. She's an ER therapist. I mean, imagine what she has to go to go imagine what she has to go through in her job right well and they're both really good advocates for the other people in their lives sometimes to their own detriment and sometimes in a way that is unwanted and very poor advocates for themselves exactly and the more you get to know them the more you think wow they they're they're just really perfect for each other i don't know I, that's that's what I love. That's what I like to read romance for, and it worked here for me. In the previous book, fan fiction was a big part of what brought April and Marcus together. So they knew each other because they were friends who wrote fan fiction. They knew each other through the interwebs of where they met in real life, right? Yes. In this book, Lauren knows what fan fiction is, but she is not in the fan fiction community. And if you remember from the first book, Alex starts writing fan fiction as a way to vent his frustrations with the showrunners and what they do with his character. Correct. So he's also a newcomer to the fan fiction world, although he immediately dives into like the the raunchiest 
part of the pool. <laughs> I did not understand why he kept writing it. I think he just ended up liking it. Okay. And Lauren writes one piece of fan fiction in the whole book. And it's clearly, it, it's for him, not because she's also falling in love with being a fan fiction writer. No, and I loved it. It was just so perfect. It was just so perfect. But I really liked his fan fiction journey. It was really funny. Yes. So funny. So I don't fun. think there was anything serious I was supposed to take away from it, but it was hilarious. No. Yes. Well, and I think that's the difference too. In the first book, April and Marcus obviously took their fan fiction very seriously. Yes. Whereas Alex does not. He he really oh. just writes sex scenes. <laughs> right. And like not even thinly veiled insults about his bosses. Right. That's it. That's his entire purpose for doing it. Let's talk briefly about the bosses. So in our episode about Spoiler Alert, we talked about how we are not Game of Thrones viewers, fans, no. readers. That said, I have read enough about the final season of Game of Thrones to know that this book is very thinly veiled. Uh, examination of the incestuous um, relationship in Game of Thrones. Okay. So Alex is unhappy because he feels like his character has grown and changed throughout the series. But in the final season, they basically revert his character back to the way it was in the first few seasons eliminating all of the growth and change that he went through. In a context that is incredibly toxic. Right. Not just from a work standpoint, but also from what morals you can derive from what the show is doing with the plot. And he's having a real crisis of conscience in wondering if he can ethically portray this character who is making choices that he thinks are not just wrong from a character standpoint, but also wrong from a social standpoint. Um, he's worried about people watching it and taking the wrong idea from it, things like that. Well, I always think that's interesting just writ large as an actor, like, you know, my understanding is a lot of actors are very picky about their scripts and what projects they choose to work on. But when you agree to audition for television, you're obviously getting a couple episodes worth of details at most. And so what do you do when suddenly in season seven, this becomes something you wouldn't have signed up for in a vacuum? Yeah. And I mean, now that it's been a couple of years since the finale of Game of Thrones and probably the NDA agreements are over, we're having so many stories about it too, you know? So we've called this out a couple of times. I really do enjoy it when series are more than just like, everybody in this group of friends ends up paired off, but that the plots have some overlap and like events in one book actually have serious bearing on the next. Yes. This book chronologically starts about halfway through spoiler alert. Right. And so there are some events that you're seeing from a new perspective, um, specifically as it relates to the con 
Mm-hmm. That's the finale of spoiler alert is basically the midpoint of this book. I thought it was fascinating. So the con- the scientists the convention that they go to is like the grand gesture end. It's the conclusion of the plot for spoiler alert. And in all the feels, it precipitates the crisis and the conflict in the book. So I thought it was so cool that she had this event that served two different purposes. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it was just really well constructed. Absolutely. It was so perfect. It was so perfect. And I probably shouldn't say more because it would be a spoiler. <laughs> yep. I loved it. All right. So this is not meant, I overall really, really, really enjoyed this book, but someone has to counter Meg's boundless enthusiasm for this text. <laughs> I do want to echo, Meg said this on a book we reviewed recently. I forget which one. I did not get enough of her emotional attachment to him on the page. Mm-hmm. I feel like we really got from his perspective, his denial about feelings for her, him realizing he had feelings for her. And then once he knew it, like his internal thoughts about having feelings for her, her evolution was a lot less spelled out. And I think I would have liked a little bit more of her crushing on him on the page, especially because they're just friends for the first two thirds of this book. They and they so, are. And so I think a little bit more openness to finding him appealing mm-hmm. would have helped me buy into this a little bit more. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't have that issue. Echoing you from that previous episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, other thing the not grand gesture but the like thing this is reminding me a little bit of um hating game in the obsession with her very specific shade of blue eyes mm-hmm. there's a thing he does with the shade of color that is her eyeballs mm-hmm. that's meant to be like the hey it's not the grand gesture but it's the hint that i was like sure about you all along mm-hmm. i thought was creepy <laughs> i did not think it was creepy (laughs) and just like this is was a weird stylistic choice so not a spoiler at all she's his date to a friend's wedding but that friend happens to be his ex yes and then rather than saying like oh i'm gonna meet up with the bride we're gonna or even her name in the text in his own head in dialogue he only refers to this woman as his ex yeah and i just thought that was really weird like i think if they were legitimately friends he'd use her name or distinguish her as the bride. The fact that he kept recontextualizing her as his ex-girlfriend, I thought was very odd. Yeah. You would expect that from her. Yeah. Right. And that might be the moment where she's like, Oh, why do I keep thinking of him as of her as his ex? It's because I want to be his current, you know? But instead it's him who just constantly refers to this woman. Yeah. As his ex. And I just, I thought that was very bizarre. It's not a point of drama at all. It's not a spoiler. Like, it's literally just the backdrop for some scenes. There is no angst about this woman. It is not like, oh, no, this is the ex. It is not hating game in that regard. (laughs) It's it's just, like, I I thought it was very bizarre for a character who is so fucking empathetic in the form of Alex that he would reduce a good friend to just the label of his ex. Yeah. I mean, you saying that, I don't disagree with you. It did not strike me, so. Totally fair. Put it that way. 
there also, anything else? Um, yeah. I, this is very specific to me. I hate birds. I hate everything to do with birds. I won't like let pictures of them in my house. I think it's <laughs> exceedingly creepy. And he is like obsessed with her bird likeness and tells a lot of stories about birds. And like, mm-hmm. I am not docking this novel any positivity because this is a lane issue. But if anyone else has like a bird thing, this is not a book for bird thing people. Yeah, I'm the opposite from Lane. I, I'm the person that Port, that Portlandia did the sketch about, put a bird on it and I'll buy it. That's me. <laughs> so like, I, I, I'm not kidding. I have birds right now that I'm looking at on my wall. Yeah, I think they're bad omens. I don't know why. Like my whole family does. Like literally terrified of birds. I have birds everywhere. Every fucking where. I love them. <laughs> I do. I can think of like at least four pieces of art in my house. Like on the walls that are birds. Anything else before we go on to content warnings? I, so you mentioned that he's obsessed with her looking like a bird. I realized that we did not bring it up. And the book jacket didn't bring it up either. Um, so do we want to talk about her appearance? Oh, sure. We made a whole point of it in the first book and then forgot to even talk about it here. Yeah. So uh, like the first book, and I think like many of Olivia Day's books, um, it, the heroine is a fat woman. Mm-hmm. And Lauren is not just overweight. She's also short. So she's what, like five foot nothing? Yeah. I think they, he ends up getting her to admit she's 4'11". Yeah. And um, I, her specifically, I think uh, Olivia Dade makes a, a point to, um, to emphasize that not only is she fat, she also uh, looks different, right? Yeah. So I think April was described as extremely attractive. Right. And plus-sized. Right. And the dialogue was sort of about people who felt like that was a but, not an and. Right. Whereas in this book, Lauren is not considered conventionally attractive by any standard. Exactly. I would, that's exactly what I was going to say. She just does not meet the, the conventional standards for beauty. You know? And not just her, her height and weight, but her features. Yeah, which is why he says she looks like a bird, because she has, like, a hooked nose and some eyes that, you know, are a little set back in her head. So, and, I mean, Laid made a point to write this as well. He is obsessed with how small her boobs are in proportion with her body. Yeah, I was going to talk about this in the sexiness scene, but we can just talk about it now. Yeah. Because every time he thinks about her boobs... It's not, I like her boobs. It's, I like her small boobs. I like her tiny boobs. I like her barely there boobs. And I'm like, sir, they can just be her breasts. Like, (laughs) she's, he describes her one time as being like the Venus of Willendorf with small boobs. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which again, fine. I like, I don't, have a particular need for my heroines to be busty or flat chested, but it got to the point that it went beyond just describing her frame to the reader. It was like, 
clearly a thing he was into and it just got to be so noticeable that it was a little bit jarring. I was like waiting for the next adjective to describe how sexy her diminutive chest was. <laughs> right? Which um, is fine. All right. Uh, which I, I do think brings us to some content warnings. So there, there is some explicit fat shaming and just bullying about her appearance. Yeah, and I actually think in this book, whereas April was specifically concerned about the media's response and the collective fandom's response to Marcus dating a fat woman, Mm -hmm. here I feel like most of the time you see Lauren's appearance written about, it's more often to call her ugly or other derogatory terms than to comment specifically on her size. Right. And I mean, several times she's just sort of pushed out of the way or ignored because she couldn't be with Alex in any sense, not, not even romantic, but she couldn't even be working for him. Yeah. As his assistant because she's so ugly. Or at the very least, if she is, there's no way he cares about her mm-hmm. because she's so aesthetically different. Yeah. So uh, this is all to say I think it was really well done. It's there as a as a content note. Yes. That you know that this is on the page. She is fairly well adjusted. Yeah. Um, I want to point out, I think she is a little bit of a doormat as a character, but not in a way that I think is because she's chosen to shrink herself in the name of the obstacles she's she faced in her life or anything like that. Um, Absolutely. But it is clearly upsetting to read someone be treated that way, regardless of how good they are at not internalizing it. Right. Uh, and then a content warning, there are some references to domestic violence. Yeah. So you never see domestic violence on the page. But not only does Alex work for an anti-domestic violence charity Mm -hmm. and situations are discussed at charity events, but you also learn he's got some personal associations with it. Yeah. And then I think apart from her appearance, there's just bullying in general from the showrunners. But we talked about that in the first book as well. Yeah, I would also point out like, I don't think this is a trigger warning, a content warning, but like I found her discussions of burnout, mm-hmm. especially as a nurse in a high risk scenario during a global pandemic, to be very resonant. Yes, absolutely. I would not say triggering, I would not say upsetting to me personally, but like if you're a nurse burned out on shitty patients, this might actually be hard to read. Yeah. All right, let's talk sexiness. Okay. So Lane does have a good point, which is that it takes a while for them to get intimate with each other. To even like admit they have feelings for each other to themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's it reminds me of our discussion of the book The Madness of Miss Gray, which we talked about yes. about a year ago. Because in that book. It's not to the, quite to this extent, but in that book, she's locked in an asylum. And so the heroine is locked in an asylum and the hero is her psychiatrist, is her doctor. And so they, you know, I would not have liked the book as much as I did if they had been intimate while he was in such a position of power over her. 
this is not quite to that extent, but it's a similar situation where he has power over her because even if he's not writing her paycheck, if he steps a toe out of line, she's getting fired. And she's the family member of a boss he hates. And like, there's just a lot of dynamics between the two of them. I needed there to be more lust. I was fine with it. <laughs> I'm I'm fine with them not escalating their friendship or partnership until two thirds of the way through. Mm-hmm. But you gotta convince me they both really want to be. Mm-hmm. And I was convinced he did, but I was not convinced she did. Like I said before, I didn't get that, but that's okay. We're two different I mean, people. It's also it's funny because like as we described, she's not conventionally attractive. So you really get to learn about what he is into with her. Mm-hmm. And he is attracted to her, but he also really likes her. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like Olivia Dade sort of gets to rest on and he is physically perfection. Yeah, right. So of course she wants, like, he's a nice guy and he looks like that. Of course she wants to fuck him. And it's like, okay, I mean, yes, but I would have liked her to, like, think that. Yeah. Once the first 65% is over and they do embark on an intimate relationship, it's pretty damn hot. I believe in a previous review where I mentioned this book in passing, I described his dick as a honing device. Yes. I stand by that. There's a sex scene where he's like, I'm going to make you howl. Like, we're going to have people complaining about us. Like, that's his goal is to have people at the hotel complain about them. And listener, he succeeds. Yeah, they win. <laughs> they both win. The hotel loses. <laughs> Everyone wins except for the other guests at the hotel. I also, so I want to just talk about the ending, not like the mm-hmm. final forgiveness, big gesture, whatever, but like the final fight, the final conflict mm-hmm. in a way that's as spoiler free as humanly possible. I usually hate it when the conflict is driven by poor communication Mm -hmm. I thought it totally worked here and I'm very surprised the fact that I'm saying that I thought it totally worked too so and there are communication issues and yes I was screaming at the book that they should just talk to each other but that does not mean I did not like the ending other than the grand gesture that was creepy (laughs) that I thought was great (laughs) I I have to say I love the epilogue I was gonna say the only thing I would have wanted is sex after the resolution or like any sort of physical intimacy after the resolution. Right. The epilogue sort of has it, but it's played for laughs, which is fine. Which is fine. But I still, I, so the epilogue, I don't think this is a spoiler. The epilogue is a, an interview with someone um, between Alex and Lauren together. Yep. And the way it's handled was just so fun. I just loved it. It was really cute. I really liked the entire resolution of this. Yes. I thought it worked for the characters. I thought it was super in character and I thought it was really fun and it makes me look forward to whatever comes next in the series. Yeah. What, whatever Olivia Dade reads next, whatever Olivia Dade writes next, I'm going to be reading it. That's for sure. I completely agree with that statement. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and you can get more information about the podcast and the books we've read on our Goodreads and Instagram at Plattress or at our website on WordPress.